in Parshas Bereshis, probably, you know, although there's so many different aspects to it that people dwell on, but probably the greatest mystery of all in the entire Parsha is something which has uh, which has piqued the interest of, of probably all people theologically as well as in all in all areas and that's really the existence of evil from the very beginning we have the problem of the existence of evil Odom and Chava the sin the Eitz Hadas Tovara, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the choices, the Nochash HaKadmoni, the original serpent, the Yetzirah, its incarnation as a serpent. And likewise, of course, evil has two sides of the same coin, which is punishment and suffering. And really, and really the, the suffering of the innocent has probably been the question that mankind and theologians and people have grappled with since the beginning of time. In fact, that's the one question that Moshe Rabbeinu really asked Hashem and nobody could really give an answer to the existence of the suffering of the innocent and the existence of evil. In fact, interestingly enough, the existence of evil goes back to the very beginning of creation when in the final act of creation Hashem creates on the sixth day and and it ends off at the end of creation at its climax as it says in the Pesach Hashem saw all that He's made and it was very good not only was it good but it's very good it was excellent and what is the very good? well according to the Medrash death that's what's very good. Good was life. Very good is death. Good is Tov, is the Yetzir Tov. Very good is the Yetzir Hora. Very? Yeah. Part of the good is the Mo'od. And I don't want to dwell really on, on the philosophical implications of that right now. But you see it from the very beginning. Bine Tov Mo'od. And therefore that presents us with a mystery. And we've already mentioned how Hashem created everything with a balance and it's only the fact that there's a balance that allows for good to exist good could only exist if there is evil if there is no evil there is no good either typical example would be would be in the animal kingdom we try to talk about some animals as being good or bad but we know that that's not really true puppy dogs aren't good sharks aren't really bad that's just the nature of things. And unless good and evil could exist simultaneously, there is no good. You know, it's, it, it's ironic, but most people think in terms of little children that are born as being pure and good. And there's a certain truth to that. Hevel, P.M. Shaltinoka, Shalbeis the pure breath of children. On the other hand, Chazal say that until the age of 13, a child only has the Yetzir Hara. It's only at age 13 that he gets the Yetzir Tov. Because he's born with the Yetzir Hara. He's selfish. He cares about himself. But it's not really evil because there is no Yetzir Tov. Because of the, the purity of the child, the animal-like purity of the child, so we don't view anything that he does as being evil. He's a little puppy dog. But he's selfish. He's like an animal. And only in contrast with the Yetzir Tov 
is there going to be a Yetzir Hara? So therefore, although it says that the Yetzir Tov comes at age 13, in effect, that's when the Yetzir Hara becomes called the Yetzir Hara. Because till that point, he only has one Yetzir, which we define as the Yetzir Hara because it's of an animalistic nature. But we don't think of it as being bad, as being wicked, as being evil. Only once you can make choices and you choose one versus the other, can one then say it's good versus evil, and then we could, in retrospect, view the other one as being the Yetzir Hara. But therefore we now find that you always have this counterbalance, and you have two brothers, Cain and Hevel, one seemingly representing wickedness, and one seemingly representing goodness. There's always going to be this contrast, this balance throughout you find it as a theme throughout the Torah. And really, the, the entire book of Kohelas, as well as other works, address this issue a little bit. You have, you have the book of Eov that tries to address the suffering of the innocent. Why innocents suffer? That's the whole book of, that's the whole book of uh, Eov deals with that. In effect, then, one of the greatest mysteries from the very beginning is the existence of evil, the existence of wickedness, and its product, which is suffering and pain and affliction, especially of the innocent. Really, when one thinks about it, the book of Kohelas, like the name Hevel, is the constant refrain. Havel Havolam Omar Kohelos Havel Havolam Hakol Hovel. Everything is Hevel. Everything is vanity. In fact, one could actually, by way of Jerusha, maybe saying that that's what he's in effect saying. All of life, all of the world is the story of Hevel. Hevel, seemingly this pure, innocent one who dies and suffers for what? For innocence. For being innocent. For being pure and for being good. Hevel dies. That's almost the story of life. The story of the world is Havel Havolam. Everything is vanity. And that's really what Kohel some, somehow <coughs> tries to address as well. Why everything is Hakol Hovel. Why is everything really just a repeat story of Hevel? How life plays itself out over and over again as being the, the murder of Hevel. And throughout Kohel you find this refrain. You're good, you're bad, you wind up in the same place. Some people, in all their wickedness, are able to prolong life. Others, with all of their innocence and goodness and kindness, don't. And with more knowledge, there's more vexation, there's more grief. What's the point? Is it futile? Is it pointless? So really, you have from the very beginning, this theme already infused in Parshas Bereshis from the beginning of Tov Mo'od of where you need death in order to appreciate life and the choice of evil in order to appreciate goodness and then you have the original sin the Nochosh, the incarnation of the Yetzir Hara but then in the very next story you have the consequence of sin and that's suffering so therefore let's, let's examine a little bit the story of Cain and Hevel In the story of Cain and Hevel, page 10, 
ועודם יודע אס חבו אשתו וטהר וטלד אס קין. Question as to exactly when she became pregnant, was it before the sin, was it after the sin? When was the birth of Cain and Hevel? Was it before the sin, was it after the sin? But it's interesting how, how death had already come into the world apparently once Cain was born. And therefore, the Ramban explains that's why he was called Cain. That Chava, that Chava, the wife of Adam, who felt certain pangs of guilt for bringing death into the world was now able to say, I found a replacement. Yes, I will die, but I have a child who's going to replace me. Konisi Isha Hashem. It's an acquisition. The word kind comes from acquisition. Konisi Ish Es Hashem. Or the way Rashi understands it, I have acquired a human being in partnership with God. And the name Hashem is used over here, the Midas Rachman. Vatosef lo ledesis ochiv as hovel doesn't explain why he was called Hevel. Although Hevel, like his name, he was fleeting. His existence in this world was of short, brief duration. He left no children. In a final irony, one could say that to this day, none of us are descendants of Hevel. But we are all descendants of Cain. Of course, someone's going to ask me, who's knowledgeable, what do you mean? Cain <coughs> also died in the flood. Noah was a survivor. He was a grandchild of Shays. However, Noah's wife was a descendant of Cain. So we all have Cain's genetic material within us somehow or other. Cain and Shays. But Hovel was, was this breath, gone like, like the wind gone with the wind so he was Hevel and no name is no reason was given for his naming it's interesting how it puts Hevel first Hevel was became a shepherd and Cain was a farmer right away does this Pusik itself tell us anything implicit in terms of their of their type, their personality. Well, we know that Roet Song was considered a prestigious occupation throughout Jewish history. All of the forefathers really, Moshe Rabbeinu, they were Roet Song, they were shepherds. And Chazal explained that shepherding was given to a contemplative lifestyle, to a more spiritual one. Kain was an Oved Adama, a worker of the soil, of the earth, more of an earthy person. Like Esau was an Ish Sada. Kain was an Oved Adama. And Hevel was this contemplative person similar to Yaakov and Moshe, who shepherded sheep. <coughs> in a sense, if you take a look, if you look in the Pasuk, and here again, one has to examine Pasukim very carefully. Who remembers what the word vayhi usually connotes? <coughs> exactly. Vayhi bimei shvot ha-shoftim. Chazal always say that the word vayhi, in other words, the, the, the root of the word is hoya, state of being. But whenever it's vayhi, it's always vayhi. Yeah, it is, but oh, whoa. 
a woe that it is. There's a vey in it. There's a vey in the yihi. Yihi means that it is, state of being. Hoya yihi. In Hebrew, there are two ways of saying, and something happened. You could say, and there was a famine in the land. Or you could say, because the peculiarity of the Hebrew language is such that although the word is past tense, the vav ha-ma'apechas in front of it changes the tense from past to future, and therefore v'hoyo means, and it will be. V'hoyo and it will be that if you listen to the word of God. Therefore, the word vayihi and the word v'hoyo are identical in terms of their actual meaning, but vayihi has a negative connotation of pain and suffering, tsar, whereas hoyo has a positive one. A happy one. Now, if you take a look at this, you see over here by he hevel roetzon, the kain hoya ovedadomo. By he is used in the context of hevel, and in kain's context, the word hoya is used. Interesting vort. A number of people say. Let's read from the Tefer Shlomo, the upper left. The original intent of man was that he should be created for spiritual pursuits. His quest in life is to be spiritually perfected. We know it's the curse of man, the curse of Adam Arishon, that you have to work for a living. Working for a living was not the ideal purpose of man. It was just something that you have to do. Therefore, the attitude of a tzaddik, the attitude of a tzaddik is mitoch tzar. The attitude of a tzaddik to the needs, to the physical needs that he is forced into is one of reluctance one of tsar, one of, I have to do it. It's the curse of man that I have to do what I have to do. He's compelled. He wishes he had the leisure. He had free time. And he could devote all of his energies and time for spiritual pursuits and perfection. But he's forced into it. He's compelled. To, to deal with this world. However, on the opposite side, the wicked person is constantly seeking and striving for the material and the physical pursuits. And that's all he cares about. To him, therefore, therefore, physical work, labor, and toil as well as commerce, in other words, material enterprises, heim hoiker. This by him is the ideal goal. This is what he, he aims for. And he runs with joy to be able to work. For him, work is something which is not done with reluctance. This is the ideal. Like the animal who searches the world and scours it for food and for physical sustenance, that's all his focus and his aim is regarding, not for spiritual perfection. 
The Torah tells this to us right away. Vayihi hevel roetzom. Yes, hevel after the curse of Adam Arishna, you have to work, had to work. And therefore he found a job being a shepherd, reluctantly. Vayihi hevel roetzom. Hevel preferred spiritual pursuits. He was forced into the role of working for a living was vayihi, was vay. The original job that the first human being had to do was taken with reluctance by Hevel. Cain, on the other hand, Hoya Oved Adamo. Cain went full force with a lust and a desire into the work. He made by him work and Oved Adamo. And the kind of work that we're dealing with over here is the physical, earthy labors of a human being. Hoya Oved Adamo. By him it was done with joy, with simcha. Because the word vahoya represents doing something with joy, a state of being happily. Now we could then understand that we already see implicit in the Pusik. Hevel sought a pursuit that gives him as much leisure time for spiritual perfection. Kain sought a job that involved earthiness. In fact, the very names Hevel and Kain connote these things as well. All the different interpretations of this, but based on what we're saying now, Hevel is Ruach, like we said earlier. Hevel PM shall The breath, the pure breath of children learning Torah is called Hevel PM. The breath of their mouths as they learn Torah, the purity. We daven. Hashem save us. We said it in the Ovinu Malkenus, in the merit of the purity of the children, the purity of the children that learn, that's known as Hevel PM Shaltinoka Shalbeis Rabban, the sound, the voice, the breath that emanates from their lungs and their hearts, the Ruach, the Ruach of a person is in the heart. A spiritual person then is Ruach, Ruchnius. Ruchnius, that's Hevel. And therefore, what was the choice of of, uh, of his enterprise a very a, a very um, spiritualized one one that carries with it great respect throughout the Torah to be a roet song to have the leisure time to be contemplated to be meditative Kain, his name represents acquisition he wants to own things he wants to grab onto things and own things in fact there's a very interesting there's a very interesting um, root relationship, although they're spelled differently. The word kinyan or kona to acquire, and the word kino or kane with an aleph. One is kufnun hey, one is kufnun aleph. But there's a very interesting relationship between the two. People that. I saw this next Kabbalah, as a matter of fact. This is the same idea. I think I saw it maybe in other places also. Kinyan and kino. The desire to acquire and to own and the jealousy and the envy that people have towards other people's possessions and other people's acquisitions are very related. Goes back to the very beginning of creation. It says that the serpent, the Nochosh HaKadmoni, was jealous and he wanted to acquire that which wasn't his. He wanted to acquire that which belonged to Adam Arisham, Chava. And he was jealous, that envy that he wanted to acquire her, he wanted to take her, he wanted to possess her. There was a jealousy and an envy for possession. That's why the very first sin 
is the last of the Aseris Hadibros. Lo Sachmod. Don't covet. And Chazal tell us in summation of that, that he, the Medr says, that if you desire to acquire that which doesn't belong to you, you will lose that which does belong to you. Not only will you not achieve and attain what you're aiming for, but you will lose actually what you have already. The Nochosh wanted Chava, he never got Chava, but he lost his legs to boot. Hmm. Little pun there, his legs to boot. So, he lost his legs. And the truth is how true it is in everything about life, because the concept of possession and kinah are really two sides of the same coin. A person who works and, and struggles, and one day he buys himself a Toyota. He buys himself a Toyota, and he wants a Japanese car, he doesn't want the, the American Chevy. And he buys his Toyota, and he drives around with it, and he feels good. He enjoys it. You know, the smell of a new car, the smell of the leather, and all the bright lights, and the sound system that he has in his car. And he feels good about what he has. He feels great, and he feels proud. And he drives it up in his driveway, and he walks out, and he has that, that new smell, and the, and the new paint job that he had on it. It looks great. And he feels wonderful. He feels, it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden, his neighbor next door drives up with the Lexus that Rabbi Osman was just talking about. <laughs> and he sees that spanking new Lexus over there with the sound system, that Blaupunkt sound system from Germany. And it's beautiful with the pinstriping and everything else. And of course, five times what it is. And all of a sudden, he turns back and he looks at his Toyota. And he says, what a schmatter. <laughs> not only does he not have the Lexus, but he lost the Toyota. People that are, that are, people that are jealous of Kinyonim, they want acquisitions. Kinyonim, not only do they not get what they want, but they even lose what they have. You can't even enjoy anymore what you have because you want what he has. You not only never get that, but you lose what you have. Kain therefore represents acquisition. Oived Adama. And he goes into it with joy. The kind Hoya Oved Adama. Hevel goes into possessions and into this with reluctance. He wants to remain spiritual. He becomes a row at Tzon. It's interesting that the Kliyokar says, we don't have time, I have to go to the whole Kliyokar. But the Medrash says that Kain and Hevel made a kind of a division of the world where Kain says, I own real estate, the real stuff. Hevel gets the metaltalin, the, the, the movable, the chattel. And the Kliyokas said that's a remiss to their whole concept about the world. Kind, you know, you go off to a marketplace to do business, commerce. So you don't come back with real estate, you come back with metaltalin, with things that could move, that could be taken with you. Metaltalin means to move, movables. to take it, movables, right? Tangibles that move. Real estate is real, but it's stuck. Kain saw this world as real estate. This is where I am. I'm stuck. Hevel wanted to take things with him. Metaltalin. To be able to move, to take the things with you. The stuff that you could carry with you. So therefore there was that division as well between acquisition, permanence in this world. Hoyo Oved Adoma. He went into it with zeal. He went into it with enjoyment and pleasure. It was Hoya. Kain went into the field. I mean Hevel rather. He wanted the Ruchnis, the word Hevel that represents Ruchnius. He went into a type of a, of a business of Roetzon that gives him much more leisure time and whatever he had to do, he went into with reluctance. Vayi, oh, woe is me that I have to work for a living. Halavai, I should be able to sit and learn. 
Vayihi. He became Vayihi Hevel Roetzon. The kind Hoya Oved Adama. That's that Pesach. But let's go now to the next Pesach. Vayihi Yomim. And it was at the end of a period of days. Vayove Kain Miprihu Adama Minchol Hashem. What is the Vayihi Yomim? It was at the end of a certain period of days. Basically, there are two interesting interpretations of this. One is the Targumion Sibin Uziel says, I think it's also in the Pirkei de Rabbalazuk that says it's referring to a specific time which was Pesach. Heir of Pesach, Odom Mauritian told his children, This is the day that the Jews are destined to one day bring a Korban, bring Korbanos. So therefore, Miketz Yom refers to the day that became a time for all time for Korbanos, for sacrifices. Kain brings a Korban. Hevel also brings a Korban. According to another interpretation, based on the Kliyokar. In fact, let's take a look at the Kliyokar at this point, since since we've already given enough introduction. Uh, no, I have to give a little bit more introduction. The Kliyokar understands that the Miketz Yomim means that kind, this earthy person, who was thinking of karka, real estate, attachment to the soil, and being that this is life. What motivated him to finally bring a Corbin? If it wasn't a spiritual quest like Hevel, who was a Roet song, who was always thinking of Metaltalin, to take things to move on. I'm only a traveler in this world. You know, the story of the Chofetz Chaim, I've mentioned it on a number of occasions, how this wealthy person comes to the Chofetz Chaim and asks him, how come you don't have any furniture? And he says, how about you? Why don't you have any furniture? He says, what do you mean? I have furniture at home. It's just when I'm traveling, I'm staying in uh, Tom, whatever the guy's name is, Motel 8, right? So I, I'm doing the bare minimum. So I'm just traveling. So the Chofetz Chaim says, I'm also just traveling. I'm traveling for 90 years. He viewed life as one travel. You're going from place to place. It's a nomadic existence. That's what Hevel was, a nomad. A nomadic existence where you're a row eight zone and you're, you have the metal and you're taking things with you for the next world. Kain, on the other hand, acquisition, set roots in the soil, in the earth, over here, here and now. So what motivates a Kain to even offer something to Hashem? When you start contemplating the end. In other words, everything really in Kain's eyes was utilitarian. Even the Corbin was utilitarian. Hey, you know what? You start contemplating the Miketz Yom, the end of days, the end of your days in this world. Death is was real. Remember, they were cursed with death. On account of Miketz Yomim, on account of thoughts of Miketz Yomim, that's why he's bringing a Korban to Hashem. Minchan, offering to Hashem, a little, as they say, a little bakshish to Hashem, to somehow try to say, hey, you know, give me a little bit more, a little bribery there. So therefore, this again fits into this, into this idea. But then it says, And he brings of the fruits, or from the fruits, a minchan offering to Hashem. It doesn't dwell on the korban that he's bringing. He's only bringing mipri. Also, is at the end of days. In other words, he didn't bring the bikurim. Remember, beratious. Beratious means the beginning. And the world was created on account of bikurim, which is the beginning that man should offer the first fruits to Hashem. Kind doesn't offer the first fruits. It's Vahimi Kates Yomim, the end of days, the end. 
the rotten stuff. Why you very kind for your Adama? Hevel, hevi gam hu mi b'choros tzono. Hevel brings b'chor b'chor. Who mechalvehen? And from the fattest ones, the nicest, choicest ones. So therefore, we already have a contrast from the way the descriptive way that the Torah describes the motivations of Cain and the way Hevel approaches it. That Hevel approaches it, bring the best, the choicest, the first, Bukhar, and Cain's bringing the end. Here I will now tell you, it's beautiful. Now we're ready for the Kliyakar. Chazal tell us that what did Cain bring? He brought flax. Flax is Pishton. Zera Pishton. Rashi brings it down. That what, what kind of carbon did he bring? Zera Pishton. He brought flax seeds. Why flax? So now let's take a look at the Kliyakar. Beautiful Kliyakar over here. Vizek Kavonas Hamedrish. Ha'oimer Moshal. Says the following Moshal regarding Cain. Le'evet she'ochalas ha'bukharos. Cain is similar to the servant of the king who eats the fat stuff, the good stuff first and then the leftovers he offers, the ends he offers to the king. He ate the Bukhar, the Bikurim, the first. And he sends to the king the self, the ends. The ends, the leftovers, the remains. He sends it to the king, the remains. And the word self, the ends. What does that mean? That in his prime years, when he was at his prime, when he was freshest, when he was young, when he was the Bikurim, the first labors and that freshness that you have, the Hainu Yom Rishonim, the first years of your life, Asher Lohem Mishpata Bukhara, that's the first fruit, so to speak. Baresh, that's your beginnings. That's when he's spending in pursuit of the physical. He's eating and drinking and the Bukharos, the firstborn, uh, the firstborn years of your life, Cain spent for himself, selfishly. Selfishly, um, self-indulged. Vishogar Lamelach, and he sent to the king, Malkushalam, the king of the universe, Hasaifis, the ends. The ends of your life. Ah, oh, I can't do it now anyway. Now I might as well learn. I always remember I said it over once before with this Eddie Grunfeld, what he said. I mean, the man is about 86 years old now. And he was 12 years old. He went off to work. And he worked on Shabbos as well. And he said to Hashem, he says, his, his, his tefillah was, HaKadosh Baruch let me one day become a Shomer Shabbos, but before I retire. To retire first and then to become a Shomer Shabbos is no big deal. Let me be a Shomer Shabbos and keep Shabbos while I'm still working. At 80 years old, he started becoming a Shomer Shabbos. He was still working, though. That's a bracha. He was still able to work, working at 80 years old, and he started keeping Shabbos. But there are people that go, okay, I retired. Now that I retired, Hashem, let me give you a Shabbos. So you're giving him the ends, the remains. You're giving him the, the leftovers. Now that my life, I can't enjoy my life anymore. Now I'm going to be, whatever, Shomer Shabbos. Now I'm going to learn. Now that I'm retired, now, now I'll become celibate. You know, all your life you're sowing wild oats and all of a sudden now, at the end of your life, things aren't working so well, so might as well become celibate. You're giving God the leftovers, the remains. The Bukhor you're consuming and you're giving Him the leftovers. And that's what He says. He sent in the Cyphus, Saifi Mecheldo, the ends of his, his, his soldier on earth. Ki Oysen Ayyomen, again, 
Apostle quoted from Kohelis. Those are the days and the years when you say, I no longer desire those days, or, or another way of interpreting the words is, I no longer have chayfets. I no longer have desire. I no longer have the ability to, to want and desire so much more. My tithes are diminished. My desires are down. Those are the days that you're offering to Hashem. I no longer have desire. That's what he says to God. And he says, Now I'm ready to do some divine service, some spiritual pursuits. The Cyphus, that's what it means, Cyphus. That's what it says over here. So therefore the Medrash fits in very well with the Pasuk. The Medrash says, kind is like the person that consumes the Bukhar and sends the king the ends, the Cyphus, the ends. And that's what it says, He sends him the ends. He sends to God the ends of the carbon. Now here's the beautiful remnant. This, this is the, everything was now you could appreciate the next one. So what does he do? He sends a carbon to Hashem. If you spell out the word carbon, as we said before, we spelled each letter. Kuf Reish Beis Nun. Now if you spell out the word Kuf, so the, the the letter Kuf is the first letter of the word Kuf. The letter Reish is the first letter of the word Reish. The letter Beis is the first letter of the word Beis. And the letter Nun is the first, is the first letter of the word Nun. That's how you have the word Korban. So Korban is really the Bukhar. It's the first words. What are the ends? If you take the ends of the word Korban, of the letters Korban, you know what you get? What's the, what's the last letter in the word Kuf? No, no, not, not numerical. The last letter. What's the last letter of Kuf? Pei. What's the last letter of Reish? Shin. What's the last letter of the word Tav? Um, Beis. Tav. What's the last letter of the words Nun? Nun. What did that spell? Pishton. Chazal said that he sent in flax. Pishton. That's, he sent in the ciphers. He sent in the last letters of the word Korban. The first letters he took for himself. So what does he send to God as Korban? He sends in the last letters of the word Korban, which spelled Pishton. So that's what Chazal said that that hell, that kind, what did kind offer? He offered to him pishtan, because that's the ciphers. How the two midrashim go hand in hand. It's a beautiful remez. Is that that? It's, it's gavalting. Pishtan is, is flax. It's the stuff that you wrap your esrog with. No, no. That's maybe why I sent it. I don't know. Yeah, but it's some the seeds. The seeds, seeds maybe it is edible. It's considered the, the garbage stuff. So that's what he says that the Saif Tevis of Korban is Pishton, exactly. Kuf Reish Beis Nun. Right, you look at the end, you see the word Pishton spelled out. And therefore now we can understand the words of the Medrash. The Medrash says, Moshul Evet Sha'ochel Sabuchayris. He takes the first letters, the firstborn, Vishogar Lomel HaSaifus, and he sends the king as Korban the last letters. Kiyabuchayris, which is the Roshay Tevos from the word Korban, which is the best part of the word Korban, that he takes for himself. Hasaifus, the ends, the ends mean the last of the letters. Saif tevus, that's pishon. That's what he says. Hevel, on the other hand, what does he bring? Mi He brings from the bechor. Michal In other words, he's bringing it not because he's thinking of the ends of the last years of his life, but he really wants to give to Hashem. He really wants to to be in the spiritual quest. The tachlus amiti. So therefore he brings down, so, so now we can understand why it says Hashem listened 
and Hashem turned to Hevel and to his Mincha and not to Kain and to his Mincha. It's interesting also when the Pasuk continues and says that Hashem that Hashem turned to Hevel it says it doesn't say that Hashem turned to Hevel's Mincha and not to Kain's Mincha. Hashem turned to Hevel and to his Mincha and he rejected Kain and his Mincha. That was he rejected the person as well as the Korban. We'll see shortly what that tells us. Well, the concept behind Pishtun. Pishtun becomes a symbolic representation of his attitude. Because ultimately, there's another very dangerous aspect to a Korban. A Korban is not there for God. God doesn't need your Korban. You need it. If Kain's approach was, well, since God doesn't need that much, I'll give him this. You've missed the whole boat. That's not what a Korban is. A Korban is because you want to give of yourself. Not because God needs your offering. Kain was offering something to God. And since intellectually he intellectualized that God is not going to eat it anyway, so I might as well just give him this. So that means he misunderstood the whole way that a Korban is supposed to operate. The, um, let's just continue with the Kliyokar a little bit. He continues later on and he says, this, by the way, is the beginning of Chumash Vayikra. In Chumash Vayikra, on page, where it talks about a Korban that a person brings. So it mentions, how does a person offer up a Korban to Hashem? And what does it say? It says over there, page 249, Korban <laughs> Lashem. First of all, none of this Kayan Korban of Pishtam. You gotta bring Hevel's Korban. You gotta bring Bokor, Tzon. But the key to it, Chazal say, is the first phrase. When you offer a Korban, it has to be of yourself. You have to give of yourself. Mikem. It has to be a Hevel type of Korban, not an offering to Hashem, a reluctant offering like Cain, but rather of himself. In fact, in this way, we can now go back to understanding the words of the Pasuk. It says, Now let's, let's examine the words of this Pasuk for, for a moment. What does it mean, the Hevel? So it says over there that at the end of the day, so we've already examined now the second Pasuk, it was at the end of days, and we explained two understandings of that. And we explained that as well. What about the next Pasuk? The Hevel Gehevi Gamhu, and Hevel brought also him, from the first of his sheep, who and from their choices. So we already understand the contrast of Hevel bringing me where the Torah emphasizes and reiterates over and over how he brought the Bukhar and the choices the first and the choices very different than Hevel, than Cain who brings from the ends he's bringing from the ends Hevel understood the concept of Bereshus Bikurim and of course there's a philosophical understanding to all of this as well and you know that philosophical understanding is Bitochen ultimately what Cain felt was, I'm giving an offering to Hashem. I worked, this land is mine, and now I'm offering a portion to Hashem. Hashem doesn't need offerings. You can't bribe Hashem. And your whole attitude is wrong. You're not giving to Hashem something that's yours. So your whole Corbin is misunderstood. Hevel, or Bikurim, 
by bringing Bikur means the first labors, the first fruits, the things that you hold most precious. In effect, you're saying, I have nothing, I am nothing, it's all God's anyway. That's Bereshit's moral, that's the concept of Bereshit's, the first Bikur, as being the first. So by Hevel bringing Mibukhar's son, he showed that he understood the concept of, it's not mine. I would like to give as much as I can to Hashem because it's His anyway. Not uh, feeling that I am offering to Hashem. That's arrogance. That's, again, based on kind acquisition. The person that wants to make an acquisition and feels, this is mine. Kayin. He has acquisition. And that kind later on, that Kenyan turns to kinah, to jealousy later on, as we'll see, because the two things go together. A person that feels, I want, and it's my possession, is the same person that's going to be jealous of somebody else's possessions. So it's natural for Cain to fall into that, into that, into that pit. Cain, who felt this is mine, and I am making an acquisition of land, of real estate, is the person that's then offering a carbon to Hashem, I'm going to give you a carbon. He's also the person that's going to become jealous and envious of someone else's accomplishments later on. So again, that's going to be Cain's downfall. But Hevel understood Bukhar, that's Bereshus. So Hevel understood the concept of Bereshus, of why the world was created, that, that I am God's, not I'm giving to God. So that's Bukhar and the choices things. But what does it mean the Hevel, Hevi Gamhu? And Hevel brought also him, Mi Bukhar So one could view it in a negative way, and we'll see shortly that that's, a, that that's also a legitimate way of doing it. In other words, Hevel is not the initiator. Kain was the initiator of the thought of bringing a carbon. <laughs> Hevel, on the other hand, was the one that was a follower in a sense. Hey, great idea. Let me do it also. So the Torah seems to be criticizing Hevel over here. I should point out that the Maralmi Prague says based on this, he answers a, a very perplexing question that Kashal I always had. It says Hashem listened to Hevel. And not to Kain. So, so whatever happened? Whatever happened to Hevel's Corbin that Hashem accepted, all he got to show for it was death. I mean, what, what was the result? Cain was the one that successfully lived with his sin, and Hevel is the one that never made it. Well, how could that be? Shouldn't be. Again, this goes back to, to, the, to the dilemma of Kohelas, which is how come this guy makes it when he shouldn't, and this guy that should make it doesn't. Hakol Hovel. That's the world. The world is again Hevel, the lesson of Hevel, the mystery, the enigma of Hevel's existence. How he was a fleeting existence and didn't last too long. And he's the one that Hashem says, oh, I accept your carbon. Your carbon I accept. So what does he get from it all? What does he get from Hashem's acceptance of his carbon? He dies. And Cain's rejection, what does he get for it? He lives. Cain's rejection, he lives. Hevel's acceptance, and he dies for it. Uh, that's what Kael is saying. Havel, Havol, and Hakol Havel. He said that is good. Well, okay, death is Yeah, we have, but we didn't explain what that meant, though. What does it mean that death should be good? We didn't explain that. But how could that be? That Havel is the one whose acceptance finally, and in fact, it's the direct cause of his death. How could that be? So again, that's Hakol Havel. That's, that's what the whole world seems to be full of. This kasha, this dilemma, this mystery, this... This Sadiq um, Viralo that Shalom that, that Al-Khasayim Hakol Hovel The whole world we're faced with this constant dilemma this constant question how could it be that life seems to be an imitation of Hevel's life Hakol Hovel 
that Hevel dies for it. But the cash is still a cash. So right away, the Das Kenyan Bali Tyson says, Gvalt says, what does it mean? Vaish Hashem al Hevel Vol Khos. He says, Mi can chuvel the minim shakaifum bailam habo. The Bimash oil of our inerg miyad. El Korbonoi in other words, here you see already the Torah is already alluding to the concept of Olam Haba, of a future world, which is of course again what Hevel was all about. Hevel really was about Hevel, about Ruchnius. Hevel was about movable things, the things that you take with you. Metaltalin. He wanted to take things with him. And Hashem turned to him and said, yes, I accept your carbon. And your carbon is now accepted for all eternity. But eternity is not going to be in this world, in his case. He died. In fact, Chazal tell us that who was the reincarnation of Hevel's neshama, Moshe Rabbeinu himself. In fact, Chazal actually say that part of and this form brings this down that Hevel, part of why he burnt up and died, is because he got too close to the to the divine glory. He looked where he shouldn't have looked. And what we have direct opposite of that, Moshe Rabbeinu was offered and he averted his eyes until finally later on Hashem says to Moshe, "Now look." Now you'll see it all. Mm-hmm. And what was Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest mystery question to Hashem? How come innocents suffer? Mm-hmm. And Hashem says to him, because you're only in the middle of the story. There's a whole history that begins from Hevel and goes on. And you, Moshe Rabbeinu, are really living proof of that. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, Hevel's neshama, the word neshama, is made up of the following individuals. Noah, Shes, Moshe, Hevel. That neshama, that seemingly is gone forever was Noah, Shays, Moshe, Hevel. And Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, was the prime example of Hevel's reverse side, of pure spirituality. Hevel looked too far, looked too closely, looked too fast. Moshe Rabbeinu averts his eyes, but finally is shown it all. So yes, your neshama does live on into eternity, and there is reward. So therefore, you see it already in the Pasuk. But otherwise, the Pasuk is meaningless. Hashem listened and turned to Hevel's sacrifice. So what? He turned to him and let him die for it? So what happened? <coughs> Says the Dazakani Bali Tyson, you can't shuva leminim Because otherwise, what does the Pasik mean? If the Pasik only means that Hashem there's life only in this world and Hashem accepts it, so what's he accepting? He's accepting Hevel's Corbin just that he should die? What was this acceptance? Only because there's Ruchni's, the world of Ruchni's other, there's an Olam Habo. If not for Olam Habo, it's already implicit in this Pasik that there's life beyond this world. Otherwise, Vaisha Hashem El Hevel doesn't have any meaning to it. But again, that was Hevel's life. Metaltalin. He's able to carry it and take it with you. The word Metaltalin means movables. He took it, transportables, things that could be transported. Hevel's Corbin and his mitzvahs and his life was transposed, was transported, it was movable. That's really Hevel's life. But says the morale, Akasha, his Kasha was, Taka, what about we have a principle that says, Shoimer mitzvah lo yeda A person that does mitzvahs is not going to have evil consequences before him. That fact the morale, and his Drosh Shabbos Hagodl, he says, how was it that Kain was successful in killing Hevel? True, life basically is the next world, and life is eternity. And Hevel's neshama transmigrated, and whatever else happened, and all of these lessons <laughs> all about Hevel came back to us later on. But how could Cain be successful in killing Hevel? Why didn't Hashem protect Hevel? Why wasn't there this level of hashgacha protest for Cain, for Hevel, especially if he's doing a mitzvah? Says the Maral, the Torah is giving us a hint to that as well. 
that there was an imperfection in his mitzvah. Shomer mitzvah If you keep mitzvahs, if you observe mitzvahs, nothing evil will befall. But you need a perfected mitzvah. Hevel It wasn't Hevel's original idea to bring a korban. He was not the initiator. He saw Kayin. And maybe he was even a little bit jealous or in a good way. As we'll see. He was jealous in a good way of of Kayin's korban. But Hevel Hevi Gamhu. It's Gamhu. He was a noch schlepper. The word Gam is then viewed in a negative way. Yeah, Kayin brings a korban to Hashem. The Hevel and Hevel also brings Hevel, Hevi, Gamu, because really the words Gamu don't, aren't needed in the Pasuk. It should have said, Kain brings Mikriya Doma, and Hevel brings Mibuchar Sono. Why does the Torah insert the word Gamu? Him also. It was like an afterthought. He was a Nochschlepper. Kain was the initiator. Hevel was the Nochschlepper. He was the one that just followed suit. Good idea, I'll do it as well. Hevel, Hevi, Gamu. Therefore, says the Marami Prague, that it was Ketoful Kain. He did it in a secondary way. Mitzvah kezois, this kind of a mitzvah, which doesn't come from a, from a genuine initiative of your own, but it comes from outside, outside impetus, this will not protect you. It didn't protect Hevel. So therefore the Torah has to now tell us why was it that although Hevel did a mitzvah, does he wind up dying for it later on? His mitzvah was imperfect, and the Torah alludes to the imperfection in the mitzvah by inserting the words gamhu, by inserting the words gamhu, kitoful kind. He's tofel. He was a nachshlepper. He wasn't an initiator. He didn't do it with his own his iris on his own initiative. It wasn't that he was searching to do the best, but he was he was impelled from outside sources. This won't protect a person. Therefore, Cain was successful. Doesn't mean that Hevel was guilty. Doesn't mean he deserved death. It means Hevel got what he wanted. You want the next world? You want spirituality? You want your Corbin to be accepted? You got it. You got the next world, your Corbin's accepted, and you got what you wanted, the next world. But you weren't protected in this world like you could have been sufficiently because there was an imperfection, there was a chink in the armor that allowed Cain's Bukhira to go through. This concept, by the way, Something that like low, huh? well, no, no, you God know what? Didn't interfere right, right, okay. He wasn't worthy. You weren't worthy of. of reward, but he, he wasn't you, you weren't deserving of punishment, right. but you didn't have enough to protect you. There wasn't enough there to protect you. It was an imperfection, and we find this is a philosophical concept. I don't really want to get into it, but the Orachim Hakadosh says that by Reuven, by the brothers with Yosef, he says a very important philosophical lesson, namely that. When it comes to Hashem afflicting someone, unless you're guilty, you won't, you won't suffer. But a human being who's a Baal Bukhira, that chooses to kill another human being, can kill an innocent person. Therefore, Yosef could have been conceivably... Can? Can. C-A-N. Can. Is able to. Able. That's where able comes from. Is able to. The, uh, the, the, the brothers, if they would have been successful in killing Yosef, wouldn't have been a Raya, a Simon, a sign that Yosef was unworthy because Balei Bukhira can kill the innocent. That's what the Orachim HaKadosh says. Big Chiddush. Balei Bukhira can kill the innocent. So therefore, you have to understand that Kain was a Baal Bukhira over here. But nevertheless, Hashem still protects Tzadikim. So the question isn't, it, could Hevel, an innocent person, suffer and die? Yes, Hevel could be innocent and suffer and die. 
The kasha is, why didn't he have the extra measure of protection against the Balei Bechira of Kayin? And that, because there was an imperfection here. That's the Gamu. However, free will, a free-willed individual. The human being is Balei Bechira. They're masters of choice, whereas, whereas animals aren't. But there's another understanding of the word Gamu, which fits in more with what we've been saying earlier. Hevel did more than just bring a korban. He offered of himself. His korban was a representation of self. In fact, what is the essence of korban? The essence of korban. Really, it's an interesting, again, an interesting philosophical discussion between the Rambam and the Ramban, and maybe one could say that's what Cain and Hevel were about. The Rambam says the purpose of animal sacrifices was to wean the Jewish people away from Avodazar. They worshipped Avodazar, the surrounding societies. Hashem says, you know what, rather than worship them, worship, worship me. Substitute me for the Avodazar, so to speak. In other words, it's a way of reducing the negative, weaning away. Rabban says, Chas Shalom, Korbonus have great Sodos and Kabbalah. There are certain compromises that are made, the Meshachach makes a compromise between the two, I'm not going to go into that right now. But the Ramban says, what is the essence of a Korban? The essence of a Korban is to bring of yourself and to feel yourself sacrificed on the altar. It's me, not the animal. Because the nose of the animal is my nose, the eyes is my eyes. And those living beings, animals and humans, share so much in common, their organs are so alike, that when you see an animal suffering, and when you see an animal on a Mizbeach, on an altar, you can envision yourself. And you're supposed to envision yourself. It's a sacrifice of self. So, let's understand now, if Cain brings a Corbin of flax, he couldn't possibly have had any of that. The Ramban's concept of Corbin was totally lacking in Cain's Corbin because Cain's Corbin was flax. There could have been none of this bring yourself and see yourself and envision yourself on the altar. Could have been none of that because it was flax. Flax is not like a person. Flax doesn't have a soul like a human being has a soul, like an animal's soul. Flax has none of that. So Cain, his Corbin was, as we said earlier, an offering to Hashem. I'm going to give you something. There's something already wrong in that. There's something implicitly wrong in that, that you're saying, I'm going to give something to Hashem. Hashem needs me to give anything. Hashem needs nothing of mine. And the thought that I have and I'm going to give to Hashem, that's Avodazar. That's Cain. My acquisition. I own. This is my land. This is my earth. That's the greatest of all the czar. The ultimate of all the czar, the greatest of all the czar of all, is man's self-worship. Not only worship of an image, of a graven image, but of self. Gaiva, Chazal say Gaiva is of all the czar. Gaiva is of all the czar. What is it? Because Gaiva is self-worship. I exist. There is God and there is me. Not Einod Milvado, Efezuloso. Einod, there is no other. Shmai Hashem, Hashem, there's only God. But there's God and there's me. And I am going to make a transaction with God and offer to God some of my flax that I acquired. That's Kayin. That's the essence of Kayin. I acquired, I own, I'm an Ove Adoma. I own this land, this is my real estate, and therefore I'm going to offer something to Hashem. That's the essence of Avodazar. His Corbin, therefore, was an offering to God. And that's wrong. Because you're offering to God, implying that this is mine, and I'm giving to God. Implying that this is mine, and God needs it. God doesn't need it, and it's not yours. Neither is true. It's not yours, and God doesn't need it. Neither of them are true. Your offering to Hashem implies that God needs it, and you're offering it. That's the essence of Avodah Zor. So if one wants to defend 
Kain's Corbin. What it was is an anti-Avodazor kind of thing that let me give up of myself to Hashem. That's the Rambam's kind of, of Corbin. Hevel, on the other hand, understood that it's me on the altar. I'm, God doesn't need it. The purpose of sacrifice, like the Ramban says, is to envision myself on the altar. It's me. Therefore, the Pasuk says in Vayikra, when you bring a Corbin, it's Odom ki yakriv mi kem. You're giving of yourself. When you bring a Corbin, that's why you got to give the rations. Why the rations? What difference is it to God if it's the first fruit or the second fruit? It's identical. Qualitatively, it's identical. When they hang up in the Korean stores, that $20 bill that they first made, or the dollar bill that they first made, that dollar bill is indistinguishable from any other dollar bill. They're all the same. There's no reason why one dollar bill is different than the other. It's only in their own eyes that it's precious. It's my first dollar, my first labor, my first fruits. Fruits are all alike, are all identical. Hevel brought me Bukharos Sana Ume Chalbein. Bukharos Sana is the first, Chalbein is the choices. Why Bukharos Sana? Why the first? Just choices. That should be sufficient. Bring the best. Chalbein is the best. Bring the choices. So bring the nicest fruit. Why the first fruit? Because the first fruit is indistinguishable to anybody other than to myself. And therefore, when I give that away, it shows that I recognize it belongs to Hashem, not to me. By giving Bikurim, by giving Bukhar, mi Bukharos, Chalbein is choices. Bukharos is first. That's giving of yourself. Hashem says when you bring a Korban in the beginning of Ayikra, when it tells us what kind of Korban to bring, first of all, you got to bring an animal Korban that shows sacrifice that you can envision yourself, like the Ramban says. But beyond that, you have to recognize it's Odom, Kiyakriv, Mikem Korban Lashem. You give of yourself. It has to be Mikem, Odom. Odom Kiyakriv Mikem. Sacrifice of yourself. That's Hevel. That's what this Pasuk tells us. The Hevel Hevi Gamhu. He didn't just bring a Korban. To him, the Korban was giving of himself. Gamhu. The Hevel Hevi Gamhu Mi He gave of himself. That's Odom Kiyakriv Mikem. Hevel fulfilled the Odom Kiyakriv Mikem. And later on, when the Torah tells us, Odom Kiyakriv Mikem Korban Lashem is telling us, Bring Hevel's Korban, which was a Hevel, Hevi Gamhu Mi Sono. That's what you got to offer. Do you want to ask? Yeah. The, the criticism then on Kain would be give the choices, give the Bikurim, not Mi Yom. Remember, we said from the Pasuk, Vahi Mi Yom, he brought from the ends. Rather than from the first fruits, he brought from the end fruits. It showed his attachment yeah, to the soil. About the animal. Yeah, th- that's correct. But the point, though, is that, that Hevel's korban in itself was qualitatively different because he could fulfill all aspects of the korban. It doesn't necessarily mean that it would have been a criticism of Cain if he would have brought the most he could have brought. But Hevel's korban, not only did he bring the first and the choicest, but he was able to do the gamhu. So there's three elements in Hevel's korban that were greater than Cain's. Cain had one advantage over Hevel. He was the initiator. Kain was the initiator of the concept of Korban. But Kain brought Miketz Yomim. Kain brought the rotting fruits, so to speak. And Kain understood it as an offering to Hashem. Hevel did the choicest. He did the Bikurim, the Bukhar, which Kain could have done. And he did Gamhu. Those are the three elements in the Hevel's Korban. After, once the Korbanus is actually established, then Bikurim is always... Right, right. Bikurim right. will be that. So yes, kind of... Yeah. Here, it's kind of a... 
Here the, here the word that's used is Bukhar. Bukhar and not Bikurim. But Bukhar and Bikurim are, of course, related to the words. <coughs> so, so therefore we could now see also that the response was more than to the Korban. It was to the person. Vayisha Hashem and Hashem turns to Hevel and to his offering. Because the key to the deal was the attitude of the person bringing it. It's the Odom Ki Yakrav Mikem that counts the most. Vayisha Hashem el Hevel the el Minchosal. The El Kain, but to Kain, who was deemed unworthy, the El Minchoso, and to his offering, Losha, Hashem didn't listen to. So Hashem didn't go for that. Now, let's finish up the, the Kliyokar based on this. Let's go back first to the Tefer Shlomo, the last lines. We said earlier that Hevel, Kain's approach, again, we see how all of these elements now tie together. We began with the fact that Vayhi Hevel Roetzon, that Hevel reluctantly goes into material pursuits. To him, life is more. I have to do this. Vayhi. Kain goes into full swing. Just like his name implies, Kain, possessive. He wants possessions. Oved Adama. Hoya. Hoya Oved Adama. With joy, with simcha. Well, then of course the consequence of that is that when Hevel gives off of his possessions to Hashem, it's no big deal. He's giving of himself. And to him, I want to serve Hashem. And this isn't mine anyway. So it's not mine. It belongs to Hashem. And I want to give of myself. So I want to give the choices, the best, the nicest, the first fruits. That's natural for Hevel. Cain, who's possessive. Yes, he's the initiator of the idea. But he's going to do it. He's going to pull his punches on this. He's going to do it with reluctance. His joy is in material work. His reluctance is in spiritual pursuits. So therefore he's going to be giving the carbon reluctantly because he's working with joy unlike Hevel who's working with reluctance. So therefore the offering now becomes the reverse. It's like tzedakah. Those people that don't have the money because they're spiritual people gladly give tzedakah. Those people that are wealthy and rich and miserly and stingy they go with full gusto in earning the money but they're reluctant in giving it away. And those people that are reluctant in earning it, give it away with gusto. So if you're reluctant in the earning, you give it away with pleasure. If you're earning it with gusto, you're reluctant in giving it away. That's going to be the natural counterbalance. Therefore, kind naturally, who's possessive, gives away with reluctance. Hevel, who anyway was like that, he's giving of himself, full, full-hearted. So therefore it says, that as a result, Kain, which is an Oved Adoma, that he was an Oved Adoma mitoch simcha, therefore Kain's mincha wasn't accepted because he didn't give that with joy. Now, if you look again in the top middle, again this is in keeping with what we saw from the Kliyokar, from the others, and I'm just putting it all together into a smorgasbord. Right in the middle on top. Vahi is Loshen Tsar. So we have the Vayhi again. Remember we had the, where was Hevel, rather where was Kain Vahoya? Where was Kain Hoya? When it comes to working the ground, it says, Kain Hoya Oved Adama for himself, he worked. He worked with Simcha, with Hoya. When it came to giving it away, it's Vayhi Miketsya, my Vay, I got to give a Korban. Then you get the Vayhi, right? So you have the Hoya of Cain in his work, and you have the Vayhi of Cain, his reluctance, in the Corbin. It's interesting. 
Lashon Tsar. And it certainly fits in with what the Kliyakar says. That what even motivated Cain to bring the carbon? Thoughts of the end. Thought of the Vayihi Ayvei. Life is coming to an end. I, I better do something now between me and God. And it was again the Vayihi, and it was. The evil days are coming. The days of no desire are coming. Vayihi, Miketz Yomim. The end of days, the end is, at, is here. Woe unto us, the end is here. Vayihi Miketz Yomim. Now he's bringing the carbon. So it fits in very well with the pots again. Vayihi Miketz Yomim. He started woeing and bemoaning the Miketz Yomim. Oi, Vayove Kain Mipri HaAdom Min Chashem. Now he's bringing a carbon. He's bringing it with reluctance, and he's bringing it on account of reluctance, on account of thoughts of losing life and his attachment to this world. Vahimi Ketzam is going to be the end of time. Woe is me. I better go bring a carbon. So that's what it says. Lashat Sar, Kain Habeas Min Mishum Shiro Es Miketz Hayomen. He saw the end is approaching. Shahoilechum is Karv Ketzam of Lomus. He sees that the end is there. Vitok Foytzar, and pain and suffering and anguish overcame him. Therefore, he brought a carbon. Hevel, on the other hand, Hevi Gamhu. He brought Besimcha, Uberoim Misruach. He brought with all of his body, with all of his spirit, Hevi Gamhu. I'm bringing our carbon. He was happy with the carbon. He wanted to serve Hashem with everything he has, with his, with his all. Not because his end was approaching. Therefore, Hashem listens to Hevel and his Mincha because of his attitude. Kain's attitude, not. This Fas Emes also adds this same point we said over here. If you look in the middle, what does Gam who mean? Hevel Hevi Gam Esatzmo. He brought himself also like a Korban, who Hikriv Eshuani Shalom. He brought the Ani, the, 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 the me, myself, the selfishness that's within him. Therefore Hashem listened to Hevel and to his Mincha. So now, let's go back to the Kliyokar. Kliyokar says the same point that from this we learn out how Korban should be brought, that it should be brought Odom Kiyakar, Mikem Korban Lashem, that it should be acceptable to Hashem the way Hevel did it, Mibuchoros Sono Michal Bayan. And then, oh, so Taka, let's take a look at the next piece. Then it says, Vehevel Hevi Gamhu. Reisi Bisef at Surah Amor Shemashim Kitzas is Hevel. He goes with the other Pshat. Not like the Sfas Emes that says Gam Hu is a compliment that Hevel brought even himself. But rather Hevel was a Noch Schlepper. Gam Hu. So he brings up from the Surah more that it, that it makes Hevel somewhat guilty that he didn't initiate of himself. He only did it after he saw Cain. Therefore it says by Hevel, Hevi Gam Hu. So he says like this. Gam is a remez that he only brought it afterwards. But he did it as a result of Kinnah. In other words, what then motivated Hevel? Cain was an initiator. Okay, so maybe his motives weren't pure. Because he was thinking of the end of days, whatever it is, all that could be true. But he was still the initiator of trying to do something. What, what was Hevel's motive? Oh, I see Cain doing that. I'm going to do it. What does that mean? What is that? Kino. It's also a form of jealousy. It's a form of jealousy. And this now is a beautiful pshat than in another pasuk in Kohelis. A person that does something spiritual on account of jealousy and envy of somebody else says Kohelis, and I have seen all the toil that's called Kishon Hamaisa, 
and all the kosher deeds, so to speak, all the good things that are accomplished. And what are they? Kihukinas Ishmerehu. It's all on account of the jealousy of one man from his fellow man. Gamza Hevel. Interesting passing. The way it's read now, in light of what we're saying. That's Hevel. This is what Hevel did. Buying uh, the bigger esrog. In other words, buying the bigger esrog. Yeah. Pashup Shad, this is Hevel, it's Stus, it's Narishkeit, that people are motivated by jealousy and envy of others. But he says, I have seen more, says Kahal. He's alluding to this story. I have seen but all the work heaven. under the heavens. He, 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 he means Hevel. <laughs> and he says, I've seen the works that are done under the heavens. And I've seen the good deeds that were done, the Kishron Hamasa. And I've seen that what was motivated it was Kinas Ishmerehu. Gamza Hevel. That's also Hevel. In fact, the word Gam that fits in. Gam! Who is the Gam? Yeah. The Hevel. Hevel is the Gam. He's the Nochschlapper. He's the, you did it, I'm going to do it. So who is the Gam? Hevel is the Gam. Because that's what it says. The Hevel Haini, Gam who? Hevel brought Gam who? In other words, why? Because Kinas Ishmerehu. He had Kina from his brother. So it's Kinas Ishmerehu. Therefore, Hevel Haini, Gam who? Mibucharos Tsono. So he said. Ah, exactly. Very good. That's the next point to bring out. One second. But that's what Soma Melch is saying. He's saying that where he said, it's called Hamas, it's called Kishon Hamas. And what is it? Kiyokinas Ishmerehu. Gam ze Hevel. That's Hevel doing this. It's beautiful pshat in the Pasuk. That the Hagam Shehevel Nichsubo is Hevel. And Tak, it's Hevel. And it fits into the word. It's Taka Hevel. Hevel, Hevi, Gam, Hu. It fits in very well. But now you made an excellent point. So what does this tell us though about Kinnah? The truth is there are two types of Kinnah. There's a Kinnah that's Rekev Atzomi's Kinnah, it rots the bones, and then you have Kinnah Soif from Tarbu Chochmah. So you have Kinnah which is, which is denigrated by Chazals being from the most terrible of things. It says, HaKinnah HaTayv HaKovah Matzim Sadam and it takes you out of this world, and it's the rot of bones, and then you have Kinnah Soif from Tarbu Chochmah that increases spirituality. You know what the difference is? The difference is you can see it in this story. Because there are two kinds of kinah that occurred in this story. You have Kain's kinah to Hevel, and you have Hevel's kinah to Kain. And how do we tell the difference? This is where the Sephora comes in. What is that? The next Pasuk says, Kain's mincha wasn't accepted. Kain felt very angry and grieved and upset. And he became depressed. Says Hashem to Kain, What is grieving you and why is your face crestfallen well you you dropped the toothpaste crestfallen okay so why is your face crestfallen what happened why are you depressed what do you why are you depressed we know why he's depressed he's depressed because his karma wasn't accepted that's a pretty good reason to be depressed and that's a pretty good reason to feel aggrieved my Corbin wasn't accepted but then Hashem tells him the next passage, but is it not true how long Tatev says? If you'll do good and improve yourself, says, you'll be uplifted, you'll be on top. After all, hell, kind, you're the initiator. You have a lot of power there. You could really do a job. Imlo Tatev, and if not, one sin's going to lead to another. La Pesach the Yetzirah is sitting by the gateways of your heart, and it's going to make you stumble and fall from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other. Who knows how far down you're going to go? In other words, improve yourself. It's within your capacity to improve yourself. And if you do that, you'll be on top. Seis. Noso. You'll be on top. If not, if you dwell on it 
and you live with melancholy, then you're going to go down, down, down. No end is in sight. But you could overcome it. And what does Cain do? He speaks to Hevel. Doesn't say what he spoke to him about. Apparently, in Quintus Forno, he started telling him his feelings that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm upset about all this. He got angry, upset, and he killed, and he killed Hevel. In other words, Cain was jealous. He was jealous that Hevel's Corbin was accepted and his wasn't. But we now see earlier that Hevel was jealous. Hey, Cain had a good idea. What's the difference? The difference is very simple. If your jealousy promotes you to thinking that I don't want him better than me. I want him to be down with me. That's the terrible jealousy. It doesn't lead to self-improvement. It leads to destroying somebody else. It leads to murder. Hashem is telling Cain, as the Sforno says, let me just quote here the Sforno, that what is it Hashem telling him? Why are you, why are you aggrieved? Why are you jealous of your brother? Because you're worried and concerned and upset that I took his carbon. This was for good reason. Why are you depressed? Why is that? What's the problem with that? Of course, he had a good right to be depressed. It says this for a remarkable lesson. Because you have to understand, if you could do something to improve, if you could rectify and fix up something which is messed up, don't dwell in the past. If something could be done to rectify and improve, don't dwell on the past. So why are you depressed? Because his Corban was accepted and therefore you're dwelling on the past that yours wasn't and you're licking your wounds and don't cry over spilled milk. How imsative says? You could fix it up. Don't dwell on the past in melancholy, but rather use it as a springboard to improve and better yourself for the future. Don't dwell in style, mashav. Don't be aggrieved and in agony over the past. What you should do is utilize this as a jumping board. Use this as a means of attaining the future good and benefit and improvement. So the fact that you're sulking shows that you're dwelling on the past. It shows you have the wrong jealousy. Now let's examine Cain and Hevel's jealousy. And we see that they're worlds apart. What did Hevel do? He was jealous of his brother, Hevi Gam Hu. I'm also going to bring those. He's up there. Hey, I'm going to be up there. And I'm going to surpass him. I'm going to be one better. It's motivated by jealousy. But that's that's constructive. That's competition. You know, that's what the society is. That's what capitalism is. It's not supposed to be destructive. Competitiveness is supposed to be constructive for improvement. It betters society. Hevel hevi gamhu. I'm going to surpass him. I'm a nochschlepper, but I'm going to surpass him. So he didn't sulk on Cain's Corbin. Oh, Cain had a great idea. Why didn't I think of that one? You know what? I'm going to do a new and improved version. And therefore, heaven was never depressed. There's no cause for depression. Because I'm going to work one better. I'm going to do it. It increases knowledge. It increases wisdom. This kind of jealousy is good. Or let's not call it good even. But it's beneficial. It's a beneficial jealousy. It leads to self-improvement. It leads to, it leads to progress in the world. Hevel progressed. Therefore, he wasn't depressed. 
Therefore, his jealousy didn't lead to grief and agony and pain and depression and melancholy. It led to another deed, a better deed. It led to gamhu. So the gamhu, which is a pejorative, as being a nochshlepper, is also the compliment that we said from the Svasemis. He bought himself. He did one better. Gamhu, yeah, he was a nochshlepper. But gamhu, he brought himself. Yeah, he slept along, but he utilized kina beneficially. Kai, on the other hand, is depressed. So Hashem is saying, why are you depressed? Why am I? I'm depressed for good reason. Because my karma wasn't accepted. No, no, no. If you're depressed, you're sulking. You're sulking and you're dwelling on the past. There's no reason for that. Haloim Satev says, don't you realize that if you try to improve yourself and you worry about the future rather than the past and you use your jealousy as a springboard for the future benefit, then you'll be safe. You'll be on top again. And if not, you'll go down, further down. Your jealousy will take you out. Use your jealousy as a springboard for self-improvement. Don't use it as a means to sit and sulk because then you're not only going to be jealous, you're going to be a sinner, you're going to do much worse. And what exactly did Cain do? Hevel, you can't be better than me. Not I'm going to be better than you. He goes into the field and he murders his competition. That's no good. Capitalism is there. Competition that I should build a better mousetrap. That's what it's there for. That's true capitalism. It's not that I should eat you up. That's not what it's there for. That I should buy you out. Monopolize. The purpose of capitalism is you're doing this, I'm doing that. I'm competing with you. I'm going to try being better. Competition is great because the world is greatly improved with that. Hashem is saying, Halo im seitif If you improve, you build a better mousetrap, everybody's going to be the path to your door. Says, you'll be on top. Why are you sulking? You're dwelling on the past. You're not using it as a springboard for future self-improvement. How long is it says, you'll be on top. And if you dwell on the past, you're going to become a murderer. Because your kin is going to say, not let me improve, but let me bring him down. Let me destroy the competition. Let me kill the competition. I have a competitor. I'm going to eat him up. Hevo. Yours was accepted. I'm going to kill you. Because you dwelled in the past. That's the wrong kind of kina. They were both jealous. But worlds apart. One was reka vatsomis kina. The bone rotting jealousy. That was kind. Possessiveness. I have what I have. And I want nobody to have anything. Nobody should have anything more. I don't want him to have. Not I want to be better. I don't want him to have. Kain's jealousy was, was the kina of Kenyan. Right? Two sides of the same coin, of the same word. Kinnah and Kenyan. I have, I don't want you to have. Reka about someone's kinnah, that's the bad kinnah. That's the envy and the jealousy that I don't want you to have. And therefore I'll kill you if I have to. But there's no self-improvement with that. That's terrible jealousy. Hevel is Hevi Gamhu. He brings of himself. He uses it as a springboard of, of Kinnah Saif and Tarba So it's Kinnah, but it's different kinds of Kinnah. You have in these few psukim tremendous lessons by just examining the words. The Sefer Kaimitz HaMincha also says along these lines similar to what we've been saying. He says, To say that Hevel's korban was accepted only because it was a more beautiful one and Kain's korban was rejected because it was of inferior quality, that, that cannot be. When Chazal therefore say that we pre Adam min Hagrua from the inferior quality and Mibukharis Sayyidun Bihaben from the superior quality, what they're telling us is something else. Chazal are telling us that they saw 
in the type of korban that these individuals brought, they saw representations of simen l'midoseim, they saw representations of their character traits, their different character traits, how they differed. It wasn't the greatness or the superiority or the inferiority of the korban itself that counted. It's not the korban that respects the man and makes the man respectful, just the opposite. It's the person himself that makes his korban valuable or not. As Chazal say, it's not the place that honors the person, it's the person that honors his place. The korban, the korban does no honor to man. It's man that honors his korban and makes his korban superior or inferior depending on what he is. And it's not the reverse, it's not the korban that makes him better or worse. Lo ha-korban ma'ales erech ha-odam Elo ha-odam l'fi midosav ma'ales erech ha-mincha It's man's quality that makes his korban of quality. Not the quality of the korban that gives it the qualitative edge to man, but the other way around. This is implicit in the Pusik itself. The Pusik in its wording actually teaches us this lesson itself. It says, Vayisha Hashem el hevel vel It places hevel before his mincha. Tchilol hevel. First, hevel, the person is mentioned. Then his mincha, then his korban is mentioned. Hashem looks on the person first. Hashem hibit koidem al ho'odam. Im Hashem. And then the korban. And the reverse is true by Kain. It says, Ve'el Kain ve'el minchosay vayshoah. Hashem looked with disfavor and rejected Cain and his mincha. First Cain, then his korban. The ways of Cain, the character of Cain, the roch of Shal Cain, was not finding favor in the eyes of God. Therefore, and as a consequence, the korban itself, great or small, superior or inferior, important or otherwise, this is the very essence of the lesson that the prophets have taught us for, through the ages. It's not the importance of the korban, but the person that's bringing it. It's not the korban that's the ikr, it's the quality and the midos of the person. The korban rishon zeb the Torah, in this very first korban mentioned in the Torah, it's already a remez to the words of the sages and the prophets generations, hundreds and thousands of years later. Cain merely brought a korban from the land, but he did not bring the humility of his heart to Hashem. He didn't humble himself before God. However, Hevel, Hevel, in addition to a korban, brought of himself, brought of his very essence. That is the quintessence of Korbanus. So the Kayim Tzamincham is saying, like we said earlier from the Sfas Emes, that the Hevel Hevi Gamhu is a compliment to Hevel that not only did he bring a Korban, but he brought Gamhu, even of himself. He brought his very essence. And this is what the Torah says in the very beginning of the parsha of Korbanos in Parshas Vayikra. Adam ki yakriv mikem korban l'Hashem. Im takrivu mikem me'atzmuchem. If you bring of and of yourself, es ha'adam shabuchem, 
if you bring the essence of man with the korban, then hareza korban Hashem, then it's a korban to Hashem. And therefore it doesn't say gam hevel hevi, but hevel hevi gam hu. Although this korban, kaimetz hamincha rather, is saying the same thing as we said from the Sfasemes, in other words, that the gam hu is a compliment to hevel rather than a implicit criticism, one can see though an additional feature from this kaimetz hamincha that I didn't see earlier. Namely, that if you examine the Pusik, you could see in the words of Gam Hu both the criticism as well as the compliment. And the reason for that is as follows. Because the Pusik says, The Hevel Hevi Gam Hu. And Hevel brought also of himself. Now, we've already said from the Maraumi Prague, as well as what the Kliyokar brings down this, from the Sefer Tzor Hamor that Hevel is being criticized that he's also bringing rather than the initiator. He's a follower. He didn't initiate the idea, the concept. On the other hand, we've seen from the Svasem as well as from the Kermit Mincha that the Hevel Hevi Gam Hu that he brought of himself is a compliment that Hevel was able to come to the conceptual essence of Korbanus of bringing of himself. Odom Kiyakrev Mikem. But the truth is, if you examine the words of the Torah, you see both things. You see both the criticism as well as the compliment. Because if the Torah merely wanted to criticize Hevel, as the Marau and as the Kliyokar bring that brings out from the Torah more, then what the Torah would have said was the Hevel Hevi Gam Mibchoros Tzono. The Torah could have just said nothing, left it blank, and said, The Hevel Hevi Mibchorosono, Hevel brought from his sheep, from the firstborn of his sheep. By adding the word Gam, by adding the word Gam also, is an implicit criticism of Hevel. Sure, Hevel brought, but he was an also bringer. He was a Nachschlepper. He also brought. The Hevel Hevi Gam, Hevel was also a bringer. However, then the correct way would have been to say it as Gam Hevel Hevi Mibcharas Sono. If the Torah wanted to emphasize that Hevel wasn't an initiator and thereby implicitly criticizing him for just being a Nachschlepper, then the way it would have been phrased was Vayove Kain Repriyo Adom Minchol Hashem. Kain brought the initiator, he brought a Minchol Hashem. The Gam Hevel Hevi Mibchor Sono, and Hevel also brought from the firstborn of his flock, and then we would have had the implicit criticism of the Maralmi Prague and the Tzora Amor brought down the Kliyokor. But the Torah doesn't phrase it as the Gam Hevel Hevi Mikorbonos Sono Mibchor Sono. It doesn't say Gam Hevel Hevi, but rather Hevel Hevi Gam Hevel brought also who also of himself so therefore the gam teaches us criticism but the who teaches us compliment it tells us that hevel brought himself as well he not only brought a carbon not only was an also bringer not only did he also bring a carbon but he also brought with his carbon of himself so therefore the way the torah phrases it in this peculiar way you see both things you see the downside and you see the upside. You see both sides, the flip side, the criticism 
as well as the compliment. Again, if you examine the psukim, you could see all of these messages. The Bali Musr say that from here we see how great is the sin of bad midos, of bad character traits and character flaws. Cain was the second generation, the first of his generation of the humanity. He was the second human being after Odom and Chava, he was the next one. He on his own was able to be an initiator and understand certainly at least intellectually the concept of Korbanas to Hashem. He was a Navi. He spoke to Hashem. Hashem spoke to him. He communicated with him. Nevertheless, because of his desire for possessiveness, for possession, he became stingy and as a result he gave a lesser quality carbon and everything all the calamities occurred as a result of that in addition to that he harbored envy and jealousy in his heart and as we've described it was the wrong kind of envy and jealousy and it led to murder so we see how character flaws have such terrible reprehensible consequences even to a novi even to an intellectual even to a great person nevertheless he could sink to the depths of depravity. Hevel, on the other hand, had this goodness within him, this lave tov, this hevel, this ruchnius, that he wanted to achieve and attain a communion with Hashem, Ratzon Hashem, and he gave with a gladness of heart, a gladness of spirit, with a wholeheartedness. And that's what Hashem preferred. The altar from Kelm, furthermore says, based on what we've said earlier, that we see that Hashem is criticizing Cain before he actually committed a real sin. What then is he criticizing? He's criticizing a character flaw. He's criticizing a bad midah. There was no sin at this point yet. It was only a future sin that was going to be a consequence. But he didn't yet sin. Nevertheless, the sin was kinah, as we've described. There is good kinah, there is kinah seifim tarba chokma, which is the kinah that the Kliyokar describes that Hevel had, that impelled him to reach greater heights of spirituality. But then you have the evil kinah, the kinah that's moitzia sa'odam min ha'olam. And we made the distinction, and the Alta von Kel makes the same distinction, that the kinah that Hevel had was a kinah that I want to improve myself and be as virtuous as my colleague. That's good. It's good to have envy where you want to improve yourself and be as virtuous as your competitor. That's a good kinah. That's kinah seifim tar That's ambition. Ambition is good. It's good to be ambitious. In fact, we mentioned earlier how Cain had this drive for possessiveness. And that drive is expressed in the Apostolic as Oyev Kesef Lo Yisba Kesef. By the same token, Chazal say on that Apostolic, Ohev Mitzvah Lo Yisba Mitzvah. Cain symbolized Ohev Kesef Lo Yisba Kesef. Ambition. Ambition for possession. Hevel, on the other hand, was Ohev Mitzvah Lo Yisba Mitzvah. Ambition and envy but in pursuit of spirituality, of Hevel, Hevi, Gam, Hu. I want to be a Nochschlepper, but I want to do the best. 
I want to give of myself. He gave of his all. He gave of everything that he had. He gave of everything. He gave of his essence of himself. But yes, it was motivated by gam. It was motivated by jealousy. But it achieved gam hu. It began with envy and jealousy. But it ended with superiority of surpassing to do gam hu, to give of his own essence. That's a good kiddo. That's good ambition. Ohev kesef, lo yisba kesef. Ohev mitzvah, lo yisba mitzvah. It's the same drive. Chazal say, Ohev kesef, lo yisba kesef. That's Moshe Rabbeinu, because Moshe Rabbeinu exemplified Ohev mitzvah, lo yisba mitzvah. We said earlier that Hevel, his neshama, became reincarnated in Moshe Rabbeinu. Cain was Ohev kesef, Lo Yisba Kesef. But they were twins. They were alter egos of each other. Cain wanted possessiveness. Cain was Kenyan. Oev Kesef, Lo Yisba Kesef. Hevel was the opposite, the alter ego, with the same with the same character trait, with the same ambition. But it impelled him to greater heights and levels of spirituality of Ohev Mitzvah Lo Yisba Mitzvah like Moshe Rabbeinu. Kina, therefore, that seeks to elevate a person to the level of his colleague is good. But there is the other kind of kina, the jealousy that Cain had. How come he's better? How come he's more virtuous? I want to drag him down to my level. That's the evil kina. V'yesh kina, in the words of the altar, Why does he have this elevated virtue. I don't want him to have it. Not I want to be like him, not that I want to emulate him, but I don't want him to have this virtue, this smile. I want him to be down like me. I want him down. This is a terrible sickness. Chazal tell us in Pirkei Ovis, that the greatest midah of all is to have a tov lev, a good heart. That's the best of the virtues of the midahs. Cain lacked the lev tov. Hevel had the lev tov. Sure, Hevel had ambition. Sure, Hevel had jealousy. But he had a good heart. And therefore, his jealousy was used to elevate himself as a springboard to impel him onward, forward, progressively to elevate himself. He had a good heart. And because he had this good character trait, his jealousy was used as to increase wisdom and knowledge, to increase virtue, to elevate himself. Cain lacked that lev tov. Cain wanted possessiveness. Cain wanted to keep, to take, to withhold, to be stingy and miserly. He didn't have the lev tov. Therefore, his jealousy worked in the opposite direction. He lacked the lay tov of Hevel. Therefore, he brought me Priyuhadama. He brought from the inferior quality fruit. But beyond that, his jealousy manifested itself in this negative way where he wanted to reduce Hevel rather than increase of himself and elevate of himself. He wanted to diminish and bring down Hevel. He ultimately brought him down with the ultimate act of murder. It began 
we see in the carbon itself. All of this can be seen in the root cause in the carbon. Hevel brought the best, that means Hevel had a lave tov. Cain brought the worst, that means Cain lacked the lave tov. Hevel wanted to give all, Hevel wanted to elevate. Cain was stingy and miserly and withholding. Therefore, Hevel's jealousy manifested itself into Ohev mitzvah lo yisba mitzvah to improve himself. Cain's jealousy manifested itself in diminishing and reducing Hevel ultimately to kill him. Ohev kesef lo yisba kesef. That's what Hashem was telling Cain. You're already a sinner. If you improve yourself, if you don't dwell on the past, but you use it as a springboard for self-improvement, you'll be on top. But if you dwell on the past, if you're stingy and miserly, and you lack the lave tov, you have a bad midah, then the jealousy is going to impel you to greater and greater sin, to murder itself. All of this was in that small and little but critical and crucial difference between bringing Mipriya Adama and bringing Chalvei Hatsoim. It seemingly is insignificant, but it was very revealing on their character. From that little bit of miserliness and stinginess and lack of Lev Tov of Cain, it produced consequences of greater and greater sin where he became depressed and where he felt terrible that his karma wasn't accepted. And then the jealousy increased to a bad jealousy, to the point of murder itself. In Parshas Vayetze, we find the Pasuk says, Rachel was jealous of her sister, Leah. Leah had children, Rachel didn't. Rachel became jealous. That, Chazal say, was an example of good jealousy. Why? Because again, we see the same thing. Rachel didn't want that Leah shouldn't have children. Rachel wanted and she was impelled to do things to produce her own children as well. She wanted her own, just like Leah. She wanted to be as good as Leah. She didn't want Leah to be as bad as her. She wanted to be as good as the next one. That's a good jealousy. Hashem now is criticizing Cain. Why don't you have the good jealousy? Why are you aggrieved? Why are you using the bad kinah? Why do you want Hevel to be rejected like you are? You should be seeking to improve yourself so that you should be accepted. Use the good kinah. Grab kinah and make it something good, beneficial, a springboard for improvement. Not to sit, mope, and sulk on the past to bring someone else down. But rather be good like him be virtuous like him. Imtative se'es. Be good and virtuous like him. And you'll make it. Have the good kina. Have kina seifim. Tar That'll be good. Then you'll be as good as him. Se'es. It'll be great. Then lo seitiv. If on the other hand you don't seek to improve. If you don't use the good kina, if you don't seek to improve yourself to be as good as him or better than him, but rather you want to bring him down, know that the evil is already within you. The sin is already sitting, crouching by the door, waiting to enter, and you're going to turn into a murderer. This ra, this wickedness, this evil that's within you, that's lurking in your heart, 
is going to overcome and overtake you and it's sitting crouching by the doorsteps by the gateways of your heart and it will make you stumble and fall and sin even more grievously Dalton then gives certain advice as to how what a person should do when he has how do you remove this kind of bad kin or this bad jealousy to speak good with your colleague and to be joyous with him even if you don't really feel but at least you go through the attempt it's going to help you doing it and if you can't speak good of him and if you can't speak good to him at least subjugate your own feelings of jealousy and don't say anything because if you start talking it's going to be like a fire consuming you and burning you to greater levels of jealousy and hatred and even in that Cain failed even in that in that self-control Cain failed he couldn't keep his mouth shut and he started speaking to Hevel and it increased the jealousy the envy and the hatred and it then led to a loss of temper and anger and it led to murder you could be a Novi Hashem you could be as great as Cain an intellectual like Cain as great as him intellectually as superior in terms of creation as he was you could be a Novi Hashem but so what if you lack Midos you could be a Novi and you'll sink into the pit you could be a Novi that communicates with Hashem you could be an intellectual that understands the essence of Korbonus and take the initiative but nevertheless because of a bad Midah you start saying what does God need good stuff I could give him bad stuff and one thing leads to the other the evil that lurks in the heart will be the downfall how ironic how bad Midos could actually even influence good deeds and bring the person down to the pit because basically what Cain did was a good act he tried to do a good act but because of the evil the evil character traits and flaws that lurked within it it turned it over and it transformed it into a bad act it became a springboard that led to murder it could have been good the kinah, the jealousy, the envy could have been a kinah which would have caused them to come nearer to Hashem instead it caused them to not only be rejected this one time but to be rejected for all eternity all for what? for what reason? he had this bad midah this kinah and he utilized it wrongfully this led to his total rejection forever says the altar if kinah could have such terrible and eternally evil consequences kinah on a good act kinah on something that was a spiritual act if evil character traits could corrupt a good deed and lead to such such terrible consequences what then could we say about kinah in worldly matters that in and of themselves aren't good deeds such as kinah for money kinah for possessions and if great people such as Cain can fall into the fires of kinah and become eternally rejected what can we say how can we be saved from the consequences of these terrible character flaws if we don't work on them we have to be very careful then to work on our character not only in our deeds but on our character as well the Bible makes the following observations 
He says, Vayim Yiketz Yomim Kain was motivated to bring a Korban. That teaches us right away how it seems to be within the human nature itself, this need, this urge to, to bring a Korban to Hashem. It's part of the Teva of the human soul to recognize that there is a Creator and there is someone above that requires and should be worshipped and served. And therefore that a person should offer a Korban and do some act of worship and offering to this Creator. It's part of the human nature, part of the human psyche to be, to be grateful, to show an expression of gratitude for all that Hashem has done for a person and to thank Him and to acknowledge Him, to give Hoidor for the goodness that Hashem has bestowed upon us and thereby to show a certain humility and willingness to subjugate oneself and acknowledge and thank Hashem for that that He's done and to bring this offering, this Mincha. However, he says, says the Malm, there are four basic differences between Cain and Hevel's Korban. One thing is we see that Cain's approach to thanksgiving to Hashem was different than Hevel's. Cain lo hikir, that Hashem is the racist Hasibos v'acharisam. Cain didn't see this wholehearted need to subjugate oneself totally to Hashem as if Hashem is the cause of everything. Hashem is the first cause and the last cause and everything in between. Kain lacked this recognition of Ephes Loso, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Ein Oid Milvadoi. He's racist Hasibois and everything goes to Hashem. He did recognize that Hashem, as people say nowadays, God helps those who help themselves. Hashem is an Oizer. Yeah, there is nature, there is God, there is myself, there is Hishtadlus, there is hard work. Put it all together and you get results. And God plays a role in that. God is merely a factor. So, Cain recognized Hashem, but he thought of Hashem as being merely a factor, as being a contributing component, but not the totality merely a component with Teva, with everything else. Therefore, Cain didn't bring Bikurim, the first fruits, but he brought Miketz Yomim. So that says the Malvin we could learn from Miketz Yomim. So now we have a third understanding of Miketz Yomim. We've had one understanding of Miketz Yomim that was referring to Pesach, one understanding of Miketz Yomim from the Kliyokar that it was referring to the end of times, the end of days when Cain saw that he was going to be dying and that life leads to an end, to death. And that's what impelled him to bring a carbon. But according to the Malbim, Yom teaches us that kind thought of Hashem's help and the acknowledgement of Hashem's help as a kind of an afterthought. Yeah, there's other things, there's other factors. God is also a factor. It's Miketzyom. Hevel, on the other hand, understood the concept of God in totality that it's ain od milvado that life is merely hevel and maybe that's another understanding of the name hevel life is hevel there is nothing there is only God ain od milvado efezuloso there is only God and that's what the Quran teaches us the first fruits the very first God is the first cause the primary cause therefore he brought not miketsyom from the ends 
but me from the first to show that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is gracious, hasibos, just as we are obligated to bring bikurim and rishis called bikurei kol, hein bevladas adam vabehemvan bikurim, hein mitoldos haoretz the bikurim of the land and chala and truma, were commanded this concept of bechor in many places, bechor in person, bechor in animals, bikurim of fruit and of first crops and of the first grains and the first shearings and the first dough of challah, truma. Hevel understood that. And that was a conceptual difference between Cain and Hevel. Cain saw God as a factor, a component. Hevel saw him as Enod Mulvado, as the totality, as, as the all-giver. And therefore he brought from the from the Bikurim, from the So that's one difference that we see in the difference between Kain's offering and Hevel's offering, according to the Malbim. This, of course, is beyond what we said earlier. We said three other aspects. We said how how Kain brought the first, he brought the choicest, and he brought of himself. He understood the concept of Corbin, that it's almost a kind of a substitution for the person's own body. This is one thing, says the Malbim. The second thing is Cain brought from the worst. He brought from the Gerua, from the Psoilus, rather than from the choicest. Hevel brought from the best and choicest. That's what Chalbeyan represents. He brought from the best. Third mistake, says the Malm. Cain saw the Korban, and this is something which we've said earlier. Cain saw the Korban as something which I'm going to give to Hashem. He needs it, so to speak. Therefore, you offered a mincha Hashem. Mincha is a gift. It's a gift to Hashem. Hevel, on the other hand, knew that I'm not giving anything to Hashem. Hashem What Hashem wants is me. That's the only thing I can offer him. Korbanus he doesn't need because it's all his anyway, and he doesn't need it. The one thing that God doesn't have, and the one thing that I could offer, is myself. God doesn't have me because he gave me free will. He doesn't have me. That's something that I voluntarily have to offer. Therefore, Hevel brought not a minchal Hashem, a gift to Hashem that Hashem needs. Hevel understood that Hashem doesn't have the need of my gift. And this ties in with the fourth difference between Cain and Hevel's korban. Iker kavonas ha-korban hu nefesh odom the purpose of a korban, therefore, is the human soul, is the subjugation and the humbling and the humility of the human soul and spirit before God. <speaking in Hebrew> to imagine and envision that you're bringing yourself. And therefore, Hevel brought Gamhu. He didn't bring a gift to Hashem, he brought himself to Hashem. He didn't bring something that Hashem needs as a gift, a mincha. He brought himself. The one thing that Hashem doesn't have, your free will, yourself, your essence. Hevel brought Gamhu. He brought of himself. He was the Korban. He subjugated his soul and his spirit to Hashem in complete humility. Cain only brought fruit. He didn't bring his heart. He didn't bring his heart in humility to Hashem. He brought a gift of, of flax to Hashem. 
Hevel brought himself to Hashem. Therefore Hashem turned to Hevel and his Mincha, because they were both pleasing by Hashem. Hevel himself, as well as what he offered. But Cain himself, in his arrogance, was found displeasure in the eyes of Hashem, and therefore as a consequence, so was his Mincha. Again, this is very similar in many of its elements with what we've been saying earlier, but because of the way the Malbim expresses it, it was worthy of repeating it in this manner. Also in line, in keeping with what we've been saying, I'd like to just say one more thing. And that is that I saw Vort, the name of the Mor HaTorah, that Hevel's, that Kain's punishment for the murder was to be a wanderer and a fugitive in the land. And as Rashi explains, his punishment was the loss of being able to dwell in a stable community in one place. He would always be a fugitive running from one place to another. This seems to be a rather peculiar punishment. What exactly, how does this tie in to Cain's sin? It doesn't seem to be consistent with the sin. So I saw this word, and it's also based on what we said earlier about Cain and Hevel's approach to life in general. We've mentioned earlier the contrasting attitudes of Cain and Hevel in light of their professions. Hevel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer. Hevel was a shepherd, as we said, reluctantly, vayihi, which implies sadness. Hevel, on the, uh, Cain, on the other hand, was hoya. He was a farmer, it implies happiness and joy. Hevel approached his profession with sadness since it limited the time that he could allot to the service of Hashem. Kind, in contrast, enjoyed the time that he spent working the earth. It was the profession that he enjoyed. Hashem accepted Hevel's sacrifice because he perceived that a profession is something that's only a source of income to fulfill Hashem's curse to other Marishan that man must work. And then, a person is supposed to devote himself totally to spiritual pursuits. And the true fruits of a person are the spiritual fruits. Cain's perspective was different. He enjoyed the toil of material endeavor. And he saw that as being man's purpose in life. Hashem rejected his sacrifice because this erroneous concept was the cause of the jealousy that produced the murder that Cain killed his brother Hevel. His punishment, Mida Kineged Mida, was to move in exile, to be a fugitive, to move from place to place. This man of real estate, who we said earlier based on the Medrash, that Cain said, I am the owner of the soil, land, real estate, Hevel, you're metaltalin, you're transportable and movable. And yes, Hevel was transposed and transported from this world to the next, and he took his mitzvahs and his korbonus with him, as we've said from the Dazkane in Balitaisis. But Cain's punishment was that now you have to live a life of instability. This that you denigrated in Hevel's life, that Hevel was a person that was a nomad, who moved from place to place like a row at sound, like the shepherds were, that moved from place to place, nomads, that they don't have a permanent abode. They live in tents and they go from place to place. And you, kind, you feel so secure with your life in this world that there's only one place, one stop, and you're stable and secure and there's only life in this world. Your punishment is instability. 
reflect on man's temporary position in this physical world. Realize that this world is only a prosdar, a hallway to the traklin, to the ultimate olam haba, to the world to come, which is where Hevel is. And we merit it through the performance of mitzvahs and good deeds. Reflect upon that kind for the rest of your life. You wanted stability, you wanted real estate, and Hevel was the one with the metaltalin, who's moving from place to place and taking his movables with him. Now you kind are going to be a nov and nod. You're going to be a wanderer. You're going to be a fugitive. You're going to be the nomad that you denigrated in Hevel's life. You are the nov and nod. Reflect upon that. Contemplate and meditate on this. On that man is only in this world as a metaltalin, not real estate. You can't take it with you. You could only take Torah and mitzvahs with you. Those are the true metaltalin of man. Those are the true transportables and movables of man. His Torah and mitzvahs. Those are the only things that you could take with you. Everything else you can't take with you. And you are going to be <coughs> a permanent wanderer, a novenod, a fugitive, a wanderer, going from place to place, reflecting on the temporary nature of man in this material, physical world. This world is only a hallway. It's only a prosdor to enter the ultimate traklin, the ultimate palace of the world to come. And over there, you can only transport and carry with you the Torah and the mitzvahs that are the metaltalin, that are the movable objects that transport, that you could take with you from one place to the other. But the karka, the real estate, the oved adama, that's not going to go with you. And you are going to be punished by spending your life contemplating that and meditating on that, on what the future is all about and what the present is all about. Based on this, we could now understand what the Orachim says as well. Cain, when he heard this, this punishment from Hashem, said, what's going to be with me? All that will find me will kill me. And Hashem said, you know what, Cain, I'm going to give you a sign. Nobody should be able to kill you. Why did Cain merit this? What did he do to merit this special measure of protection from Hashem? Merely because he complained? For complaining, that's everybody's going to kill me. Therefore, he merited to have Hashem say, He who kills Cain will suffer even more. Hashem gave him a sign so that no one should kill him. What did he do to deserve that? Why did he deserve this extra measure of protection? Says the Rachaim. Because once Cain came to this recognition that I'm lost, and I'm totally dependent on Hashem. Isn't that the purpose of man, to recognize that? Cain then finally appreciated in his punishment that which he should always have understood. He understood that man doesn't possess. There is no Cain out there. You don't own anything. You are totally at the mercy and the dependence of God. And if Hashem doesn't protect you, all is lost. Now finally Cain came to this recognition. He finally understood this concept. That if Hashem doesn't guard and protect me, all is lost, there is no hope. 
this understanding, this deep recognition that Cain finally had now, that's what caused him to merit this extra measure of protection. Once you're totally dependent on Hashem, then Hashem protects you. Once you're dependent on God, now you deserve the extra measure of protection from Hashem. Chazal actually say, He who trusts in Hashem, even a wicked person who trusts in Hashem, he'll be surrounded by kindness. This is a very profound and deep lesson that the Nefesh HaChaim discusses. The topic of Bitochen is a vast one. There's much to discuss about it. Certainly its benefits and the virtue of Bitochen. We'll just briefly bring down a couple of important points regarding this. The Medushan Tehillim in Kapitel Lamed Aleph says the following, Mizmor Ladovid. David says, B'cho Hashem Chosisi, in you Hashem I trust. Medrash brings down how Klali Saul assembles in the Bote Knesios and Bote Medroshes and prays to Hashem and asks Hashem for salvation for Gula. And they say, we no longer have any tzaddikim, we no longer have any merits, how could we be redeemed? Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu to them, Bidchu Bishmi, Vu Oymed Aleichem, just have trust and faith in me, as it says, Yiftach B'Shem Hashem. V'loma, because whoever has bitochen in my name, I will trust, I will save him. The Medrash then goes to say that the miracle of their salvation came from bitochen. It's because of their bitochen in Hashem, that's why Hashem miraculously saved them. And he quotes a Pesach from Daniel that demonstrates that. Even Daniel was saved from the lion's den why? Only on account because he trusted me, that's why I saved him from the lions then. Omar David, David when he becomes aware of the great power of Bitochen, says If that's the power, the tremendous power of Bitochen, that merely for Bitochen alone you save him, I therefore will trust in you, I have Bitochen in you. The Nefesh Chaim in Shar Gimel Perik Yudbeis elaborates on the great virtue and benefits of Bitochen. He brings down over there, there was from Mice in the Gemara about this, this uh, woman, this witch, who was trying to perform some witchcraft against Rabbi Hanina. And uh, he said, Nothing's going to happen, you won't be able to cast any spells over me. It says, which the Gomorrah then says, I, we know that the magic and witchcraft have power, so how could Reb Hanina say that he's, that he's unconcerned? So the Gomorrah concludes, Shani Reb Hanina the Nofesh Chusei, that he has great merit. Says the Nefesh Achaim, when the Gomorrah says that Reb Hanina was different, and that he had tremendous merit, and as a result he wasn't afraid of witchcraft, it wasn't Chas V'Shalom, that he was Machzik Atzmo, as a Tzaddik. Because no one has a right to be machzik themselves because of their Torah and their mitzvahs that they are considered in that they're considered secure and they no longer have to worry. But the reason for that is, as Nefesh Chaim explains, because if a person is able to reach this highest level of bitochen Hashem and realize that it's ein oid milvado that there is nothing else but Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and all powers are nothing. So therefore, Bchanina, 
He wasn't relying on his Torah and on his mitzvahs. But he, he knew that his level of bitachon was such that he had such great degree of emunah in Hashem, in his heart, that he was able to comprehend to the fullest level she'ein oid milvadoi. She'ein oid milvadoi is baruch shum koyach klal. The hidbik atzmoi b'kedushas machshavtoi l'bal ha'koyches kulam odon yochid ha'molei kol almen. The ein kan shum shlito mitziyus koyach achar klal. He was able to negate everything totally from his mind to the degree of where there was only Hashem and nothing else. Therefore, Lochein hoyo noyachoyin liboi botuach bezeh that's why he said therefore concludes the Nefesh HaChayim that although people have no right to rely on their Maisim Toivim and on their Tzitkis and on their Mitzvahs and on their Torah a person does have a right to rely on Bitochen because even if you're unworthy Bitochen does not measure a person's worth because if that would be the case, there would be no such thing as bitachon. If the only time you can have bitachon in Hashem is if you're deemed worthy, then it defeats the whole purpose of bitachon. There is no bitachon then. Maybe you're unworthy. If you're unworthy, then you won't have any miracles and you won't have any salvations. How can you then have bitachon? Bitachon therefore has to be able to operate independent of merit. Even people that are not meritorious, even people that don't have merit and don't have schus, can still latch on to bitochen and be saved in the merit of bitochen and bitochen alone without any other kind of merit. Bitochen operates on an independent mechanism from merit, from schus, and you can rely on bitochen alone. That's why Reb Chanina was not praising himself. He wasn't conceited and he wasn't arrogant and haughty thinking that he can be saved, but he knew that you could rely on bitochen. His level of bitochen was such that he knew that it was adequate to save him from everything. Shani Rab Chanina Rab was different. Not that he was a bigger tzaddik than everybody, which he was anyway. But Shani Rab Chanina, that he had bitochen to the degree that he could rely on it, and he knew that he could rely on it. He was confident. Bitochen allowed this degree of confidence, even though he didn't have merit. Continues in Efshachayim with the Gewaltige Yisoyed. Ube'emes hu inyin godl hu segula niflo. This is a tremendous segula. Lohoser levato me'elov koldinen hu retoyinus acherem shloyuchu lishlitboy. This is a way that anybody, anybody could latch onto this particular segula to remove from him all other kinds of evil designs. Other people's evil designs can be removed very easily with the power of this bitochem. That it has no power. It's a difficult task, though. Then can Yaspik who is Borach Bielashim Mela, is Batu Melo called Kaikhs Matan Shabam Shalayuchu Lifobashim Dover Klaal. If a person is able to, in, in, in a true way, be able to come to a complete and total negation of everything, 
other than Hashem's existence, that nothing exists relative to Hashem. He's the only true and absolute existence and nothing else exists. And he's able to be Mizdabik and attach his mind to this concept and this soul where it totally engulfs him and takes him over, then he will be saved. This, says the Nefesh Chaim, is a segul on the floor to be saved. As we see though, it's not really a chiddush of the Nefesh Chaim. This is already the Medrash in Tehillim, where the Medrash in Tehillim says, even without merit, you can be saved through bitochen alone. Miracles can happen through bitochen alone. There's a tradition that all of the Arizal's miracles and the Baal Shem Tov's miracles were done through emuna pshuta, through plain, simple faith and belief. If you could reach that level of faith, that level of uh, emuna and bitochen, miracles can be, can be made. He explains with this that the, the mission in, in Rosh Hashanah that says v'chinochash mei misanochash mechaya they were saved. In other words, in other words, above the nochash, when they're able to look at the nochash and look above the nochash and say, no, snake venom doesn't kill. There's something above snake venom. HaKadosh Baruch And they were able to be mevatel milibam, the powers of snake venom and of the nochash and the sorrow. And they were able to reach the level of comprehension of Hashgochas Hashem that's above it all. And the Shibdu Aslibam Be'emes Rak Laviyam Sheba Shemaim Levad, then they were saved. Vuamitas Inyin Hamtokas Koychas Hadinim Bishrosham. He goes on to explain that this is how miracles are performed, that you could perform actual miracles with this. If you're Meshabed Umedabik Toyar Emunas Levavoy Be'emes Rak Lois Borach Levad. Because that's how all miracles can be done. Because to Hashem, Teva and miracles are one and the same. Hakol Shova. Everything is the same. And that's why Rebchina ben Doisa was able to be Goizer, was able to decree and say that He's able to make miracles with what? With this Emunah Pshuta. He says all of Rebchina ben Doisa's miracles came about through this ability to have total emunah pshuta and bitochen in Hashem that ain oid milvado that performs miracles that's a segul in the floor this of course is a very profound concept and we can't belabor it right now but it's an important yisoid that bitochen operates independent of merit if bitochen could only operate if a person is worthy and meritorious enough then already it destroys the whole basis of bitochen because you never know if you have enough merit. So says the Yalkut Shimoni, a remarkable thing on the Pasuk in Tehillim, in Kapitel Lamed Beis, at the end of Kapitel Lamed Beis, it says, Rabbi Machoivim L'Rosha, Boiteach Bashem, Chesed Yisoy Bevenu. Says the Yalkut, Rabbi Yezer Rab Tanchum, B'Shem Rabbi Yirmiya, Afilu Rosha, Uboiteach Bashem, Chesed Yisoy Bevenu. Even a Rosha, if he has Bitochen in Hashem, he will be surrounded, he will be surrounded by chesed, by kindness from Hashem. Afilu Rosha uboiteach b'ashem chesed yisoy v'venu. Says the Yalkut Shemoyni, the school of bitochen is so great, it's not dependent on merit. Even a wicked person, if he achieves the madrega of bitochen to the degree required, will reap the benefits, because the benefits of bitochen come to a person in the merit of bitochen alone, not dependent on any other merit. You could be a Russia in other areas, but if you have Bitochen, 
you will reap the benefits of that bitachon. Chesed Yisayu The benefits of bitachon accrue to one that has true bitachon, not necessarily to someone that deserves it otherwise. This is now Pshat and what the Orachim says, how was Cain able to be merit merely by complaining to Hashem Bukhom, why is this complaint alone sufficient to have a Russia like Cain deserving of divine intervention and divine protection? But the reason is because Cain had now finally achieved this lesson of Bitochen, the lesson that he should have always have learned that a person is totally and utterly dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he owns and has nothing. There is no such thing as kain as acquisition. You don't own anything. Kain wanted to bring a korban to Hashem and offer and give something of his to Hashem. That was a mistake because HaKol Hovel. All of life is vanity, is futile. It's all Hevel, like wind. Hevel understood, Hevel Hevi Gamhu. Hevel gave of himself because he understood that there is nothing but Hashem. Ein Oid Mulvado. Kain thought that I own, I possess, I have acquisition. Now he finally came to the conclusion that it's all Shtus, it's all Narishkeit, Hakol Hovel. You're a Nov and Nod, you're totally at the mercy of Akkurish Borahu, you're totally dependent on Hashem. This is the level of Bitochen that a person has to achieve, that Kain finally achieved through Golas and through punishment and as a result of sin, but he finally did achieve this level of Bitochen.